0: Everybody remembers two to four years ago, machine learning and artificial intelligence was all the rage. But then every company tried to use it and they had crap data. And garbage in is garbage out. So those artificial intelligence and machine learning projects, many of them were not successful for companies. So the switch changed to, we need better data governance. So that's the huge thing that's going on right now. There's a lot of tools and a lot of proliferation around data governance.
1: Have you ever wondered, how do you grow a socially conscious an environmentally friendly e-commerce brand online while also making a profit. Yeah, me too. After watching my family members suffer through cancer and heart disease using products by companies that care more about profits than their customers, there must be a better way, right? That's when I discovered an emerging wave of successful purpose-driven businesses and I knew I needed to be a part of it. So, join me as we dive into the stories behind the most inspiring brands in the world and discover the secrets on how they successfully win over the vote of their customers' wallets and grow their business online. My name is Vincent Tanyono, and welcome to the e commerce speak podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the e commerce speak podcast. I'm super excited here because today we're going to be talking about how you can leverage Amazon-like automation and personalization strategies without having an Amazon-like budget, and also how you can make your funnel to convert higher in just 24 hours using customer stories. I have today a special guest here, Dan Magaw. Dan is an award-winning entrepreneur and speaker. He's the founder and CEO of Magaw.io, which is an analytics and marketing technology consultancy. And Dan is one of the original growth hackers, and he has led the teams at Kissmetrics, CodeSchool, and UTM.io, and many more. And he's also the author of Build Cool Shit, a blueprint to creating a marketing technology stack. So glad to have you on the show here, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So, I I know we love a good story, so how did you get into this uh, marketing technolo- technology space?
0: Yeah, really, really interesting question. And, you know, thanks so much for having me here. Um, you know, I've been in marketing technology for over 20 years, so it's been a long time. Um, but I got my start back in 1998, sending mass emails before there was even mass emails. Um, I actually started an uh, online booking agency for DJs and producers back in 98, before there was even MailChimp, right? Um, and, you know, we had to figure out how to market our artists. And, you know, we just went to town with it on the internet with GeoCities, AOL, all that stuff. And that's really how I got my, my start off in all of this, was just you had to figure it out. Um, fast forward about 15 years, uh, I became the head of growth at a company called Code School. Uh, They're one of the pioneers in online education for developers. Um, and we luckily had tons of developers at our disposal and we built a lot of our own tech because Martech just wasn't there. Um, and because of the success that I had at Code School, I was recruited to join uh, the team at Kissmetrics, one of the pioneers in marketing analytics. Uh, and I was recruited in to take over for Neil Patel, the world's most famous digital marketer. Um, and it's been off to the races ever since. So uh, seven years ago, I started my company, Maga.io. Um, and we were the first marketing technology stack consulting firm. Um, and we, for the past seven years, we've helped companies build world-class stacks of technology to help them grow their business. And most of our efforts now are focused on what we would call as revenue infrastructure um, and building out the infrastructure and architecture of all of the tools that you would use in your stack. So, it's been a fun ride. Uh, I, I will definitely admit it uh, has been a little clunky and a zigzag path to get here. Um, but uh, the technology nowadays is way different than it was even five years ago or 10 years ago. So it's been, it's been a
1: great ride to see. Yeah, definitely. The technology is moving at such a fast pace. So I know that when, we, when people talk about shopping online, the first thing that comes to mind is Amazon, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm very curious. Like, How do you leverage those Amazon-like automation and personalization without their kind of budget? So how do you do that?
0: Yeah, you. I mean, definitely Amazon has done some really, really cool stuff. But technology has really uh, kind of come to the table most recently and made it so that you can do very similar things that Amazon would do. And, you know, naturally, everybody's familiar with like an abandoned cart email. That's like the basic of e-commerce and getting that set up. And that's pretty straightforward. Most services kind of provide that. Uh, Customer or platforms like Klaviyo and stuff like that make that really easy. But when you think about some of the personalization that Amazon's able to do, or getting you back into the cart, uh, or getting you back into shopping on the previous products you have looked at, um, you can now build a lot of these flows really simply through using a cheap customer data platform, maybe like a segment, to track all of your customers' behavior. You can then send all of that data into a product like Autopilot, which is a very, very uh, affordable small business marketing automation tool. And then Autopilot will actually help you manage that personalization uh, to really send uh, messages to your customer. Um, Autopilot, which is an amazing product, um, was really designed for small businesses and medium-sized businesses. Um, and you can actually load your product uh, your product listings directly into it. And then it will actually help make sure that the right products are served to the right customers uh, throughout their lifetime. And they're offering, um, you know, there's an artificial intelligence, I think it's called GP3, which is um, the best artificial intelligence out there. And their technology uh, is integrated with that AI. So it actually helps make the emails for you. It will send the emails for you. Um, It will do all kinds of really, really cool product selection. So uh, that makes it a lot easier in today's marketplace. But with that being said, you know, I think the way that we have the ability to track and engage customers has changed with inventions like Google Tag Manager and Tag Managers that make it easier to track the customer. Sending that data into multiple different tools is making that a lot easier. And the last tool that I'll really bring up, which I think is a game changer for most companies, is a product called Jarvis, um jarvis is an artificial intelligence copywriting tool um, that will help you write your copy for your ads your product listings your emails your blogs um and these new technologies are really really affordable for a small business um, but they give you that next level game-changing ability um that you still only be able to get if you worked with a company like or worked at a company like amazon
1: mm-hmm. so there's a lot of uh cool technology and all the tools that you've mentioned that definitely need to be uh, re-listen to all of that. And do you have like an example of how this, uh, all this automation, uh, how how that plays out? Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: you know, I can point at a a specific example that we use for an e-commerce company. Um, So one of the problems that you have when a customer comes to your site is you don't know where they're at their buyer's journey or you don't know what they're actually interested in. So this company um, is called Forks Over Knives. They're uh, a company that sells basically vegan food, vegan cooking books, vegan cooking courses and things like that. And the problem is, is when a consumer comes to their website, we have no idea where they're at in their vegan journey. Because if you're trying to go vegan and you're a meat eater, um, you know, you typically, a lot of people fail or some people are trying but not doing good. Some people are trying and succeeding. Some people are already completely vegan. Some people aren't vegan and they're vegetarian trying to make the turn. So this is like any other buying experience that you have on any website is we don't know what the customer's interest is and we need to gain that interest or know where they're at in that buying experience. So when somebody would sign up for their email list, um, the first email we would send them is, hey, thanks so much. We are looking forward to being able to help you in your transition to becoming vegan because that was almost everybody's goal. But in the email, we would have a question that would say, help us understand where you're at in your current journey so we can provide you the best education possible. And then there was five buttons in that email. One which said, not vegan, but trying, trying to become vegan and struggling uh, currently in the process and managing the transition. And then of course, um, I am currently vegan. And these aren't the exact uh, copywriting that we had an email, but somebody would click on that email and they would tell us the exact place they are on their journey. When they click on that, they would go back to uh, the Forks Over Knives website. Um, there was UTM tracking on all those links. So the UTMs would be saved on the website. So in analytics, we could see where somebody was at in their vegan journey. When they hit the website, there was a little pop-up that said, thanks so much. We're looking forward to serving you. However, in the marketing automation tool, we also stored that segmentation. And what would happen is, is their entire customer journey would now change based upon where they were at in their journey. So as an example, if you were um, trying to become vegan, but struggling, the first thing we would do is we would inform you the benefits of why you should become vegan. And then the next email after that would then give you tools and products that we sell to ultimately help you become vegan. So our meal planning service, our online cooking school. But if you were completely vegan, we would not try to send you articles of, hey, this is the benefit of being vegan. We would send you articles about upcoming vegan events or anything like that. And then also the products that we would send you would actually be uh, more the e-commerce products, buy our dressings, buy our grain kits, buy our meal kits, these types of things. So we're able to control that customer journey and really tailor it to that person. And that's a, a really good example. We saw a massive impact in our conversion rates from selling more products because we were tailoring it to that customer. But it wasn't something that uh, was extremely difficult, right? We set up tracking in those emails that, of course, let us know what they clicked. And then of course we were able to send them into a different automation flow dependent upon what they clicked. Um, and that's really, really powerful. And we've used that same exact flow um, in many, many different types of e-commerce businesses. One of a, uh, another company we use that same exact process with um, was an online t-shirt company. They basically printed custom t-shirts for their customers. However, they had five different customer segments. They sold to HR teams. They sold to marketing teams. They sold to CEOs. Um, they sold to churches. So the first email would ask them, "Hey, what type of? What is your role at your company?" They would tell us their role, and then we would now send them content that actually would engage them and get them into the process. Um, and that's really what has made Amazon special is that they send you future content um, and and uh, products that you're going to be interested in based upon the information they collect about you and the information that you give them. Um, and a lot of people just don't do that type of segmentation, which, um, you know, I, it sounds like a lot of work, but the um, it can take some time to build it. But the, the, the true revenue you make in return
1: pays for that in dividends, especially if you can automate that flow quickly. I, I love that example that you shared, especially like tailoring it to their customer journey, right? And where they are in that process like you say in the in the vegan process for example so yeah for setting up those kind of like automations those kind of segmenting uh is that like a one and done kind of set and forget kind of system or do you do you have to like go back and and tweak it and or maybe that's not like um you, you've set it up that maybe you put them into those five different buckets and you thought like hey, maybe that's not exactly the right way so how do you go about like optimizing that after that
0: yeah, I definitely think you have to optimize always. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to have a testing mentality and a learning mentality to be successful because those programs, even after we launched them, right? For the first 30 days, we let them run, we collect the data, we analyze the data, see what's going on. And then we created additional hypotheses on, hey, how can we make this better? So you definitely want to uh, improve that. And if anybody's interested in understanding um, more about how to come up with hypothesis and then how to know what uh, test to run next. Um, if you just Googled um, the vice framework, um, so, and went to the Magal.io site, there's a great blog article that we've written that talks about how do we do our hypothesis creation, but also how do we do our uh, prioritization. So, because if you have 10 ideas of how to optimize, well, you can't do all 10 at once. You can only do one at a time. So um, if you use the vice framework, it will help you build the prioritization on it, uh, which will be really, really good. But you do have to set up regular testing intervals. One thing that we would recommend on an email flow like this is you need to let it run for 30 to 60 days to really be able to see what the outcome is. because. You're, it, it, you shouldn't be peppering the person with 10 emails in a week, right? Um, that should probably, that nurture should be like a month or two months long. So you've gotta let that really run through, collect the data. And then what you have to do is uh, really focus on, okay, which nurture flow am I going to work on? What am I trying to optimize? What are the behaviors that we're seeing on the website? Uh, and that's where really good tracking comes into play. You've gotta have good analytics. You've gotta have good UTM tracking to make it so that you know the behaviors that the customers are doing. Um, so yeah, you definitely have to optimize uh, as much as you can. The thing that I would start with is you have to focus on whatever one has the most volume uh, first, whatever is driving, whatever nurture sequence has the highest volume, focus on that first, uh, and then go down the path on whatever has the least amount of volume, uh, because you need to be able to hit statistical significance in any type of testing that you're doing uh, to make sure that it's successful. But yeah, you definitely need to be optimizing this. Um when you have optimized these programs, so as an example, typically after six months to 12 months, um, you know you can lean off a little bit of the optimization and let it ride a little bit. But I would definitely recommend every 12 months, you do have to kind of blow these programs up and then rebuild them. Um, it seems costly. It seems crazy. But the world is moving so fast. What worked three months ago doesn't work today. I mean, especially with COVID, right? Like everything's different. Um, and it's constantly changing more and more. I mean, um, I'll use a stupid example of how crazy the world has changed. We buy swag boxes for all of our team members and our partners. In these swag boxes, it has face masks. Well, this, we we started this Learson swag box at the beginning of COVID. We got everybody out with masks. Well, COVID supposedly was ending, what, six months ago. So in the next round of swag boxes, we didn't buy masks. Well, now three and a half months, four months later, well, COVID's back, right? So now we want face masks again. So like, You just, it's hard to predict what's gonna change. Uh, So you do have to be
1: prepared to blow things up and start over. Yeah, I love what you mentioned about the how fast things are changing, especially today and especially in the technology space. So I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I know that you've been in the MarTech space for 20 years. So where do you see like, what trends do you see in the uh, MarTech space? Like I know that there's privacy laws coming up here and there, blocking pixels.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think um, the general method of tracking, of course, is going to change. Um, At the end of the day, there is plenty of workarounds around this tracking, but, um, you know, Apple moved really quickly and made some problems with the tracking. So but there's definitely going to be a lot more tracking that kind of fixes these problems. But the big things that we really see shifting over the next, over the next, the the big thing that's coming up right now is data governance, right? So um, if you would ask me this question 12 months ago, I would have said data governance is becoming hot. And right now it is hot everybody's trying to clean their data. Everybody's trying to make it so that they can capture better data and it's more organized, it's more structured and it's prettier. And the reason for this was about, I mean, everybody remembers two to four years ago, machine learning and artificial intelligence was all the rage. But then every company tried to use it and they had crap data um, and garbage in is garbage out so those artificial intelligence and machine learning projects many of them were not successful for companies so the switch changed to we need better data governance so that's the huge thing that's going on right now there's a lot of tools and a lot of proliferation around data governance um, i even own a company called utm.io um, we're a data governance product for creating campaign links so we're a campaign link management platform and we're totally focused on helping you get cleaner data. So that rise is happening now, but as you look forward in the next 12 months, Artificial intelligence has really reached a tipping point where it's now the normal marketer could use it. It's not just Apple, it's not just IBM. Um, a, small and pop, a small mom and pop restaurant could take advantage of artificial intelligence. And you'll see that tipping point really happen over the next 12 to 24 months where it starts to become everywhere. Um, and it's starting to become what's gonna happen with writing copy. Uh, and that's the scariest part of all is, you know, marketers are going to start losing their job to artificial intelligence that can write copy for them. Um, and that's pretty crazy. Uh, the fact that your emails, your blog posts, your um, uh, your ad copy, all of that stuff can be written for you by artificial intelligence now is pretty scary. Um, so I think that's the next major rise that's gonna happen. At the end of the day, no matter how much artificial intelligence there is, it's still going to require humans to run it. So I think there's always going to be a place for the humans in there. But AI, of course, is becoming really big. Um, And that's going back to uh, better experiences for the customer. Um, And I think that's what this is really all about. And that's one thing that's a shame about all of this tracking and privacy and all that stuff is, you know, Somewhat of this is a pissing match between Apple saying we have more power than you Google or we have more power than you Facebook. Really, it's just a battle over who can have the most data about their customer, right? Because at the end of the day, I have Apple on my wrist, I have Apple on my phone, I have Apple in my car. Apple knows every single thing I do. It knows my health, it knows my sleeping patterns, it knows my blood sugar, it knows everything. Um, they just don't want anybody else to have that data as well. So. You know, it's a little bit of a pissing match, but I think over the next 12, 24 months, you're going to see a lot of new technology for tracking come about, uh, which will circumvent some of the things that Apple is doing. But at the end of the day, the problem is, is that most of the reason why we're tracking this data or using this data is simply to provide a best or better customer experience. Um, so it, to me, uh, you know, technology is going to change to solve the problem, but the customer experiences are going to go down a little bit before they go
1: back up once we
0: fix the tracking issues.
1: That's really great insights on the, where, where the marketing technology and the trends are going. Definitely a lot of uh, artificial intelligence, <laughs> more and more of that. Like, uh, they'll be crazy if you can write a copy, right? <laughs> and it, I'm telling you, ch- check out Autopilot,
0: man. When I, when I got my demo, and this is like six months ago, I'm, I'm buddies with the CEO of Autopilot. It's an amazing marketing automation tool, but it, w- it will literally email you and say, hey, we saw that you wrote three new blog articles. You should probably create a newsletter. I've already wrote the newsletter for you. Go check it out, right? And it's just like mind-blowing that you it's already written a subject line. It's already written the the brief text. It's already added images. It's already created the whole email. And you're just like, what? Um, So it's crazy. It's already out there. Please go check out Autopilot and tell uh, them that uh, Dan from Maga.io sent you, uh, and they'll hook you up for sure because the product does a great job. Yeah, I
1: would definitely check that out myself as well. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. And the other topic that I'm also very interested in what your experience on this is, how do you convert, make your funnels convert higher with uh, customer stories and anecdotes?
0: Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that we forget sometimes in marketing is we're constantly focused on like, how how do we convert them more? And, you know, in my introduction, you talked about how I was one of the original growth hackers. And... Growth hackers, what we're most known for, right, is basically being able to manipulate the funnel in an automated way to get people to basically go down the funnel. But in some cases, we truly are manipulating you or we are tricking you into doing an action or we're using psychological triggers to get you pushed down. But with that, you have to remember is that most people's buying habits aren't because they were manipulated down a funnel or tricked or there was an automation sequence. It was because they read a story, they related with that story, and then that story resonated with them and then they purchased something. So One thing you have to be very, very conscious of is when somebody comes to your website, obviously you have to prove the value that you have to them, but the best way to do that is to walk them through a story of how another customer did that. Jane had this problem. Jane tried to solve that problem by doing this. Jane failed at doing it this way. Jane then did these three things and then Jane found the solution. Um, And The solution was whatever your product is. As an example, you need to find a creative way to walk somebody through that story on your website by taking them on a stereotypical buyer journey. The buyer journey has four primary stages. And if you look on the internet, there's like seven different versions of this, but the original was like four things. So you have somebody is aware of you, somebody is then uh, basically researching you, they then have to consider you against all their other options. And then the fourth one is that they buy. So when you tell that story, you have to remember when somebody hits your homepage, they're just being made aware that you exist. So you have to start the story at, hey, we know you have this problem. This is a problem that Jane had. This is a really good time to use a customer testimonial or a confidence bar of different companies that have solved this problem. testimonial videos will get people started in that. But you have to remember as you walk that person through that that funnel uh, to then get them into the research stage, you need to still continue to do storytelling about how this is going to happen. And this might mean that you use different customers that are at a different stage in that buyer journey to help tell that story. It doesn't have to be a linear story of Jane the entire time. You could say Jane became aware of this problem. And then of course, Jack, when he was doing his research this is how he found the things. Uh, And then of course, Sally then did this to consider phase. And then of course on purchase you could talk about how uh, Joe did it. So, but you do have to create that story in the buyer journey so people can relate to the problem. And then as well as they can relate to the solution uh, which is really really important and what we typically see a lot of companies do and we try to get companies do is leverage your current customer stories that you already have your current customer testimonials Um, it's very very cheap nowadays to be able to get a testimonial video shot so all of the testimonial videos, if you went to maga.io, about 90% of our testimonial videos that we have are were shot for less than $1,300. Um, and that sounds like a, a lot of money, but at the end of the day, we make a lot of money in return off of those. But those customer stories and those testimonial videos Um, are designed in a manner to take somebody through that funnel. So we have specific testimonial videos to talk about, hey, the diagnostics phase, when you got to figure out the problem. Then we have testimonial videos that talk about, hey, what is it like to build a strategy? And then we have testimonial videos that talk about the large outcome. You do have to walk people through those stories to really get them to resonate with it
1: and feel like they have something in common with your current customers. So for an e-commerce company, that would mean like they are like a video of them using the product and saying like, before I was using this product, I was, I had this problem. And after using it, this is how I use it. And after I use it, now, now this is the result kind of that kind of uh, video. Yeah. So if
0: like you're saying like an e-commerce company, right, as an example, you know, I'll use a story from uh Forks over knives. So forks over knives, our whole objective was to get people to go from being a meat eater to a vegan. So and the best way that we were able to do that was showing them before and after success stories, right? So the first thing that we would do is show you a picture of somebody who was. Uh, potentially overweight and unhealthy. And then right next would be a picture of them, uh, perfect weight and then uh, healthy. And then there would be a story. Those success stories were used throughout the entire site to get people to buy products because it was effective. So when you think about an e-commerce site, it's less, you've got to remember, you still have to find out how to tell a story in many cases. And if you're selling like just purses and bags and stuff like that, the natural habit is just to get people to get to a product. But if you're able to display that product and you're able to show a story, so when you think about a a TV commercial, right, the story that you're seeing in a TV commercial is somebody who's living a positive life or having something beneficial happen to them. So let's say that you sell purses as an example. The story that you need to convey is how this uh, young lady, or if you're in some countries, this young man, wears this purse and their life is now better. They're happier. They're on the beach. They're at a nice restaurant. They're in a nightclub. While it may only be one picture that you're seeing, that does convey a story. If I wear this bag, I'm going to have a better life. And that is partially telling the story. So when you think about the product images that you show with fashion, when you have a product image and there's four pictures of the purse, show four different experiences that that product would be used in to show the story of how great your life is going to be when you have that purse. Um, You have to remember that the images that you walk somebody through tells a story. So if you start out with a great um, uh, image and continue to move on those images that show a story of five different experiences I was able to have, and those are positive experiences for that person, that is still telling a story. Uh, And I think some companies miss that when they think about product images or the imagery they have on their site. They just try to show, oh, there's a hot person and they're wearing the garment. It's... Twice as effective if you do what they do. And I don't know, uh, obviously, with international listeners, you know, uh, there's amazing commercials in the United States like Matthew McConaughey's and all the Lincoln commercials. And the whole point of the Lincoln commercial is to prove that if you drive a Lincoln, you could be as high class as Matthew McConaughey. And you can also have this stylistic life that's so luxurious. It's telling a story still in there that um, you're, you're subliminally reading. Um, but that's what's important you have to do online, too, is you still have to tell that story. You're going to have this different life if you buy this product. Um, so it's, it's, it's really giving people the example and template of uh, where they should be thinking. Mm-hmm. So
1: what have you found to be like the best way to collect those uh, testimonials, especially the video ones? So do you like incentivize them or... Because <laughs> I think no, uh, it's kind of tough to get videos.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely stuff. You know, actually, uh, interestingly enough, this company is trying to work with us right now. There's a company out there called gathervoices.com, I think it is. Uh, and the whole point of their model is to be able to collect testimonials from your customers uh, very, very quickly. And there's multiple companies that make this really, really easy. Um, I, you can incentivize people, of course, to do this. I have never incentivized my customers to leave me a testimonial video or even uh, any of my clients that I work with. We typically are trying to position it as uh, we're featuring you like, Hey, we'd really like to feature your story. We really want to feature your brand and show you off. We are not saying, Hey, will you do this testimonial video to help us? Um, We're making it all about them. So it really does come down to the way that you Propose the opportunity to them. Don't get me wrong, people get paid for testimonial videos all the time. Um, you're supposed to, uh if you do pay somebody, you have to legally state that you paid them in the United States. So try to stay away from that. Um, but if you have a great product, if you have um raving fans, it's not very hard to get that. If you cannot get a testimonial video, I will share this. If you are struggling to get testimonial videos, your product's not good enough. It's that simple. Um, In our consulting firm, all of our consultants um, are required at month three, month six, and 12 months, they must be able to get a testimonial written, a testimonial video, and then also a case study. If they cannot do that, 90% of the time, they're not able to get their bonuses, they're not able to get their raises, because if a customer is not willing to do that, unless they obviously have some confidentiality rules, that means that we didn't do a good enough job. So in your business, if you're struggling to get testimonial videos, it just means that you're not doing a good enough job um, unless there's confidentiality concerns, which I totally understand. Um, you know, we, we worked with uh, big companies like Eventbrite and Maserati and Club Med. They're not going to do testimonial videos because they're protecting their brand. Um, and I, I get that. Like, I totally respect that. We were able to get other things out of them uh, instead. So, but... Um, uh, if you're having a problem getting a testimonial, you're not doing a good enough job in my opinion. Yeah, well
1: said. I, I totally agree. <laughs> the, the, the product should, you must have an awesome product that people will probably, probably use it and share it with, uh, with their friends and family as well, right? Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. awesome. I, I really love that advice. So uh, Dan, uh, what are you currently working with and how do people uh, follow what, what you're uh, doing right now? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you
0: went to LinkedIn, just look up Daniel McGaw. I think there's like 150 of us. I'm the cutest one. I'll just say that. Um, But you'll be able to find me. I've got a really big head. Um, But either way, check me out on LinkedIn. I'm most active on that network. You can also, of course, go to Magal.io, which is our website. Uh, my name is spelled M-C-G-A-W and then add the .io. Um, we have amazing content. So anything that um, we do as a business offering, uh, as consultants, we actually offer for free on our website. So if you went to our website, you can get access to all that stuff. Um, if you also go to our website, um, in the top section of our website, we're currently giving away my book right now for free. Um, so until the end of the year, we're going to be giving all, away all the books that we can. So go check out the site. The book Build Cool Shit is a blueprint to creating your modern marketing technology stack um, and will really help you understand how do you build the foundation of a good stack and then how do you leverage that stack to create good business outcomes. It's a true case study. There's three good outcomes that are going to help all businesses from lead scoring, data enrichment, reporting. um, How do you integrate? So go check out that stuff and I I would love to hear from you uh, on LinkedIn and hear all your thoughts and happy to answer any questions on
1: LinkedIn as well. Yeah, awesome. And I will definitely link all of the your LinkedIn, your Magoda.io, and as well as that book in the show notes. Go make sure you check that out and follow Dan's work. And uh, Dan, is, before we wrap this up, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to, any final takeaways that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, uh, biggest thing I always tell people is just build cool shit, right? Have fun, build something cool, be proud of it,
1: um, do something a lot of fun, so... Awesome. Let's build cool shit. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me.